stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick. And this week, I'm joined by Zach's chief equity strategist, John Blank, to talk about our outlook for 2022. It's just a few weeks away now. Where do we go from here? What will the economy be doing? Is recession on the agenda? Let's hope not. And what will happen with the stock market? So, John, things are looking pretty good going into 2022. So I wrote down a list of what is working. The job openings are at all-time highs. The quits are at highs. The weekly jobless claims have fallen to an over 50-year low now, under 200,000. We saw that 199 a couple weeks ago. The ISM for services is at highs. That's most of the economy. Unemployment has fallen back again, down to 4.2%. The stock market's been a little bit shaky here. Now, we're recording this at the beginning of December, December 7th. And right at the end of November there, not looking too good. We had a pullback, but now we might be back at all-time highs. Apple was just hitting a new high. So all those things appear to be working again. And now it looks like this Omicron variant might not be that bad and that the vaccine does work against it. So some fears about that have receded. Is this is this like a Goldilocks going into next year? Well, I'll tell you what, context is a, a meaningful subject in economics. And the third quarter GDP report was 2.1%. The second quarter was 6.7%. And what people think about the fourth quarter is any form eight and a half to nine and a half percent. So you have very strong readings on the fourth quarter. But if you blend the three together, let's take two and six and nine, that'll be 17. And then divided by three, we'll get to 5.7, 5.8%. That's really what's going on. Okay. Yeah, so you said to yourself correctly, Tracy, as you pointed out, all kinds of secondary variables, a constant rate of growth at 5.5 to 5.7% in the United States um, is quite strong. And we're seeing that we've pulled ahead in many categories of vis-a-vis our peers in terms of generating jobs, recovering lost incomes, reaching new highs with GDP, and frankly, the stock market in the United States is singularly better than anywhere else in the United world right now. I mean, there's very few other parts of the world, most people understand this, Canada is doing somewhat okay, Russia is somewhat okay, the Saudi oil countries are somewhat okay from a stock market perspective, basically everywhere else stinks. So from a wealth perspective, from a GDP perspective, from a jobs perspective, uh, things are pretty good, as you mentioned. Yeah. And then now we found this morning why the stock market is going up. We're talking Tuesday, December the 7th. Obviously, the Chinese announced they are signaling a, a rate decrease. Um, so weakness in China yeah. creates monetary liquidity in China, which happens at the very moment the Fed's going to pull back. Because all the yeah. good news here has to be met by a tightening Fed. But if it comes with a weakening China that is being ex- acknowledged in the central bank context with more liquidity there, that's another, in a global context, a very Goldilocks scenario. 
right? Right. If money doesn't care where money comes from. Money cares about how much money is coming into the market, right? right? Chinese money, European money, Japanese money, U.S. money, doesn't matter. Okay. So you do think that the Fed will be tightening next year? Yeah, I mean, Tracy, let's keep our minds around the fact that when we entered this pandemic, we were at 3.5% unemployment. Now, at that time, 3.5% unemployment was built out of a numerator and a denominator, right? The numerator is obviously how many people were unemployed, but the denominator was how many people were in the labor force. In those days, February of 2020, there was 164.4 million people in the labor force. Today, speaking on you know, Tuesday, December the 7th, looking at October and November macroeconomic data, you have 162 million people. So 2.4 million people are no longer in the denominator, right? Okay. So what this does, um, obviously, has fractional, you know, a smaller denominator makes everything seem a little different, right? Because you're you gotta remember, two and a half million people simply are not going to work now, right? Correct, correct. Um, but from the Federal Reserve perspective, monetary system perspective, it doesn't matter. Um, so I would point out a couple things. One is there's probably a lot more slack than that number indicates. And it's probably true that the Fed doesn't care. And if we get down to three and a half percent here within the next three to four months, with that four or 500,000 job ads a month, we're going to definitely do. Right. Then, then this is, gets to the point that I've made with a lot of people who simply are focusing too much on the, the consumer price inflation floating around five, six percent is even if that goes to four and we're on the back end of the supply chain issues that is still above the Fed's mandate on inflation. And more importantly, and I'm using the word more importantly because they have a dual mandate. If they have a four percent CPI or a six percent one, doesn't matter. They violated that mandate. And in three and a half months, four months, they're going to violate their unemployment mandate. And so then if you're the FOMC and you're under a statutory mandate, right, that means that you have to do this. You have no choice, Tracy. Okay. So you are in at March and, you know, you're pretty hawkish. I would tell you, I looked at the CME yeah. Fed funds data and the basic idea for most people is two to three hikes next year with one start in May or June. And there's... 85% probabilities that we have a hike by July now. One, at least. 85%? 85%. Wow. Okay. So what you can think about here, we're going to have the December 14th, 15th meeting next week for the Fed. Powell has already announced that he's on board with it and moving the taper forward. What he would like to be, now that he's elected to be the chairman again, is get the taper out of the way by March, right? Because okay. I, you got to remember, he wants to enter a tightening, a true tightening phase once the statutory mandate criteria is met, right? In a historical perspective, then Jerome Powell can argue somewhat more sanguinely that he did become less accommodative when his statutory mandates were in play, right? Yeah, it would be very borderline. It would be very um, probably late, but it would be accurate. Now, if you look around the world, most people don't do this, but I do. Um, 
I'll just tell you how late he is, just to show you the number of countries that have already raised. Now, this is this is probably a month ago. I probably can add another name or two, but Sweden, Norway, the Czech Republic, Poland, Russia, Peru, Colombia, Chile, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, and of course South Korea. At least a dozen countries have already raised policy rates, Tracy, not got done with papers. Yeah. So other thing people need to understand is the COVID is the factor behind the consumer price inflation rates that the world is experiencing, not just the United States. And a dozen or so banks are already hiking rates. So there's another data point that cannot be ignored. It's certainly not being ignored in the dollar markets, uh, while these exchange crosses. And it's going to play out in terms of a data point within the Federal Reserve debate here next week. And they're all going to say, I would say, they're going to give you Powell unanimous hands down play to start basically doubling the taper, getting it done by March. And if they, I mean, I think that the thing you got to understand about this, and you, you're pretty good about this, Tracy, is that's probably what's already priced in. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking most of the weakness that we've seen in the growth stocks is pricing in that reality that they're going to double you know, the drawdown of the taper, and then we are going to get the rate increases. Right. And so you pointed out, well, Kevin Cook just pointed out, you know, he has been trying to time the biotechs. The biotechs are kind of the canary in the coma and this whole taper pulling yeah. in. So mm -hmm. you can get the answer wrong. It could be bullish when they announce they're going to go this next week because everybody's already figured out it's going to happen. So do you think this sell-off in the you know, more extreme growth names like the biotechs and even, you know, the PayPal's of the world um, is over then? It's already been priced in? Well, I think it's over in, in terms of, you know, severity, but I don't think it re these recover. Like I was looking at Invitae. Invitae is back to where it probably should have been before people got too euphoric. These, the basic problem with the Kathy Wood scenarios for these companies is they're multi-year, multi, if not two decade transformative companies and you know it's going to be a long road to hoe and probably hard to pick the winners out of who gets there okay so i That's think yeah. the markets are probably being accurate here they probably will not go up they'll just go sideways right right i could see a you know a bearish rally here off the lows that takes us into some kind of more comfortable feeling for a few months and then they roll over again and go sideways again and go up and down for another two or years right so where will the money go if once people realize that if your scenario plays out it, it's going to take a little bit of time for all those who are the buy the dippers and all that to realize it's going to go sideways and then where will they go well, uh, you know, this is the what's the area. I'll tell you a couple ideas. One is I, I think you've got to watch the Russell and the mid caps. Okay. If they break out, that's will be one signal where the money's going. Um, and then I, I'm really agnostic about value and growth. I think people are going to see both of those do fine in this environment. And I do okay. think once the small and mid caps in the United States definably break out of consolidation if they do um then the international stocks which are so beaten down are going to get lit up yeah European uh, stocks are dirt cheap uh you know chinese stocks have been beaten up for a couple years now three years four years now and sooner or later people will start bottom feeding and moving some of the money into those markets okay I've been hearing 
you know, again, Tracy, you know, playing the big cap names in the United States and playing the ETFs has been pretty solid advice. But is picking stocks, you know, I think I don't know. You tell me how you think that's gonna play out. Well, is the Fang Man trade or the Fangs, whatever you want to call it, it is that basically done. And I ask that because Amazon has really gone nowhere for the last year. That one has been done. It's gone up what, five, six, seven percent or something in the last year. And that's like nothing compared to what the prior gains were like for that stock over the last you know four or five years. So to me, Amazon is already kind of telegraphing what may happen with some of those big popular fangmen type names. Many of which aren't exactly overvalued here, but might just be kind of, you know, not going to be where the catalyst is for the overall market in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. Yeah, I, I got to believe the chip stocks are a better play. You know, the Microns, the Western Digitals, the Corvos, you know, AMKBY is another name I've looked into that's that's got a good story for the supply chain disruption. You know, Texas Instruments. ST micro, these types of names, because um, there is going to be this huge surge in CapEx and it's continuing electronic use in cars and all this stuff for electrification. And I just got to believe that's where you want to be. Should investors also be looking at the infrastructure plays? I mean, we passed that huge infrastructure bill and now nobody's even saying anything about it. And clearly it'll take a while for that money to work into the economy and for all the projects to get bid out and all that stuff to happen. But I haven't really heard anyone talking about, you know, whether or not they should own some of the infrastructure plays like a United Rentals or I don't even know some of the EV charging companies and things like that. Like, should I, is that an area that, you know, might have some value here going forward? Yeah, you got to think about that. I think, again, that you know, the politicals and the axioses of the world will tell us about the letting of the contracts for infrastructure. And the axios and the politicos start to announce who gets the contracts. And then we find out who those people subcontract to is when I think we'll get the bids in play for that. Okay. Markets, I mean, the problem with this type of thing is when does it happen and who gets what? So, sure. you know, you telling me, hey, you know, I made $100 billion. I'll be like, God, that trade is unreal, Tracy. And then I'll be like, I'm not like, I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> if you told me, oh, I went to, you know, William Sonoma, I spent 50 billion of it. I'd be like, well, I know where to buy that stock, right? Yeah. So I got to know what you're going to do and who you're going to do it with. And then okay. start to, and I think, you know, pre that, Axios and Political will tell you who's doing the business, who's getting into the door and all that stuff. Speaking of Williams and Sonoma, and even just like the housing market in general, you know, that was real hot in 2020. It, the housing market has remained strong here in 2021, but some of the stocks, uh, not so much, um, even though apparently some are hitting new all-time highs, but they haven't done that much throughout this year. What do you see for the housing market going into 2022, especially if we're all in agreement that the Fed might be raising and those mortgage rates might be rising a bit here? Yeah, you still got to think the supply response to the high prices is going to make uh, a bull market for stocks that are in the supply response businesses. Okay. Um, 
So you would still be a buyer? The the KB homes, the, um, you know, we've had the lumber groups uh, finally get out of their bubble, but they'll probably be good. And, uh, you know, some of the plywood groups and the insulation groups and the carpeting groups. um, So you still like the home play? uh, Plumbing groups. Okay. Air conditioning. Yeah, and a lot of them uh, remain cheap, even though they're, you know, well off their lows from last year, obviously. Yeah, but when you have, you know, we have a record high price response, just being an economist, the first thing you would expect to do is the suppliers will continue to pour supply into the market until they bring them down. So you say, oh, how long does that take? Well, it's a regulatory thing, a builder construction thing, and et cetera. But, uh, you know, if you just want to be an economist, that's what you're going to get a bull market for, right? High price. More volume. We're going to be checking out some of those home builders then. You mentioned a couple of KB Homes is KBH, Lennar's, LEN. Toll Brothers is about to report earnings right after we record this. So we'll see what they say. That's on the luxury side. TOL is the ticker there. Those are some of the big ones. Pulte, the other one, PHM. Um, they're the largest publicly traded home builder. So yeah, there's a lot. And they're all cheap. They all have PEs under 10. Yeah, and Mohawk. Ticker MHK, right? Okay. You can pick pick up Mohawk and a pullback. That's the carpet guys. So, Aircon guys and stuff like that. Right, right, for sure. All of the secondary or even like Whirlpool, WHR. Yeah. Um, people still waiting on their appliances for, for months on end. I'm I'm I have my fingers crossed that my none of my appliances die right now because I really <laughs> don't want to deal with with having to try to order anything new and, and and even just to get like a maintenance guy in here to look at it is hard enough, let alone getting something new. So um, keeping my fingers crossed on that. What about the auto stocks? You know, they're everybody still wants a car that's still hot. That never that hasn't died yet. We haven't had peak auto, I don't think. Yeah, here's the problem. I just pulled this up this morning. Um, motor vehicle and parts job in November fell 10,000. Okay. It rose 20,000 in October and they fell 3,000 in September. So you're finding that basic employment, you know, so the production in the motor vehicle parts is staggering around and maybe negative most months because of the parts issues. And right. So the problem there is. They just simply don't have a product to deliver, right? I know. And that, and then that reaches into an electrification story here that continues to roll and ramp itself out over the next years, probably more more like a five year strand than the next year. So yeah. short term, you've got to get parts issues, chips in particular, ironed out within the motor vehicle industry, which, by the way, brings me back to the chip companies as one of the solutions because I'll start making their own chips now in the United States. Right. And then that will slowly be reflected in the employment for motor vehicles and parts jobs. And that's something you can watch as an economist is when those jobs start getting added, that's when you know the supply chain's over for the auto companies. And that's when probably analysts will start upgrading those companies. Yeah, I know um, several of the big parts guys like Magna or Lear, they make the seats. LEA, I think is the ticker for that one. Um They've had to cut their full year earnings outlook because of the supply chain issue, not because of demand, yeah. <laughs> obviously. But yeah, this is probably the case. And so then you say, well, when do I time the bottom of this whole thing? Good luck with that. Right. 
Um, so, the problem so here soon. is you, know, you really got to wait for the charts to get very constructive because the forward-looking guys will tell you what's going on and start throwing the volume, the price up on those charts and tell you. Just wait. In my opinion, on those types of things, you're, you're wanting the tell come, to come out of the charts on those, those types of companies. So don't buy the bottom. It's going down. Just, just you know, it can go down for a long time. All right. I'll keep keep some of those on my wish list. What about the travel stocks? These are hot. Everybody likes them, even the airlines, but the cruise ships, the hotels, a lot came down sharply off of the Omicron news. And even just some of the restrictions that have been put on over in Europe now because of the just the, the Delta outbreaks that are going on over there. Um, could some of these be deals going into next year? Because I noticed we we just had a outbreak on a Norwegian cruise liner that was going in back into New Orleans and nobody panicked. Nobody freaked out about that they were having an outbreak and even the stock didn't really do anything on the news. So have we reached like an accommodation with COVID now with these, these travel stocks that you know, this is a buying opportunity since they have pulled back on the Omicron news and that next year we are going to continue to see more of the reopening. People want to travel. I just saw some data from one of the airports that um, they're publicly traded down in Mexico and the one that owns a couple of the Mexican airports plus Colombia and Puerto Rico. I forget which one of them it is. They split up all the Mexican airports and a couple different companies, but they had uh, higher than November 2019 numbers for November 2021. They had more on the international side. They had more international visitors coming in to their airports in November 2021 than they did in 2019. So that's a positive. Yeah, and again, this is where it gets tough because how much of this is priced in or not, right? I don't know, right? But they have pulled back a lot of these stocks. Yeah. So is this a buying opportunity in them? I, I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, I've I think this is a big right. question mark in this area. It uh, For a lot of things that are going sideways, it, this is the problem is you might just be in dead money from a trading perspective, but get the investment call right. Yeah. Um, so you just got to think about your horizons because it's going to be very hard to figure out what's been priced in here. So bad news can be good news, good news can be bad news, you know. Okay. And then you're like, oh, I didn't understand that, you know, and it's like, well, this is the point. I mean, you know, Norwegian cruise lines can you know, have a huge COVID operating and the stock goes up 5%. Right, right. So it sounds like you're not a fan of the travel stocks. You know, I just, I just think they're probably better places to look to put money to work. I mean, have I bought any travel stocks for large cap driver? No. I have okay. plenty of ideas in the tech space, large cap tech space that I find attractive at these levels. Uh, and industrial names like we've talked about that I think there's a CapEx boom that is easily cyclical and playing out in some areas that can be tagged out and those stocks are overplayed. And I think, why do I want to bother with Norwegian cruise lines? It's right. kind of the way that Budget Buffett looks at the airlines. I mean, people can get these as trading calls, but you know, yeah. All we need is some really weird news that nobody thought about, which is really easy. I mean, Russia invades Ukraine and starts shooting planes down. Well, that'll take the, you know, oh, right. I didn't think about that. I thought it was all about COVID. Well, no, no, it's 
It was until, you know, the Russians started shooting planes up. Well, you're yeah, like, oh, you should, you know, I should have thought about that. Well, you're not going to think about that. Well, Putin's not going to call you and say, hey, I'm shooting your plane down over Paris tonight. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of things in play with the, yeah, the traffic. But just imagine Putin sends a missile and, and drops a 747 over Paris. Just one thing, one time, it would be a deal killer for like two years. For sure. He's By, by the way, he's massing troops on the border of Ukraine as we speak, right? I mean, I know. yeah. Yes. So you say, oh, that's that's just really incendiary, John. That might not happen. I agree. But, you know, again, you know, crazy stuff does happen in any given year. And this probably sucks as you get on the wrong side of that thing. So I think right. travel stocks, in my mind, are these technical plays where you wait for the, the real stupid thing to show up and then buy them. So large cap tech, you still like? I like large cap tech. I like large cap industrial names with, with core links to electronics and you know to to some type of sophisticated play what does that mean like can you give an example yeah like westco wcc westco is they bring in a million electronic parts for third from thirty thousand suppliers to kind of be the you know one-stop shop or putting up a really sophisticated plant or building or whatever so what is that going to work eh, it's a 13 times earnings makes 10 bucks a share mason pittsburgh probably Overlook stock, you know, high beta, you pick it up when it blows up every once in a while. Yeah, I take that over, you know, Norwegian cruise line. Well, that's some good advice because I do think people fixate a lot on these kind of trendy names. And yeah, I, yeah that's the other thing you got to worry about, as you pointed out, is, you know, Kathy Wood and the, the whole downward trend that has emerged in the shorting game to blow up the Roku's and the DraftKings of the world. Yeah. So where does that crowd go when they blow those stocks up, right? Right. And that's when I don't like the travel stocks either. It's just that, you know, once those crowds blow those stocks up, they'll move to the next level of like whippy stocks, right? Correct. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Tracy got really bullish and bought insider trading stuff for Norwegian and, you know, the shorts pile in and all of a sudden you're selling things 20% out because you didn't think about, oh, you know, the shorts got in. Right, right. So on the other trendy areas, do you see any um, blossoming trends in any type of a sector for next year? Like for instance, a couple years in and out, they kind of go in and out of favor, but we've had like hot periods of the cannabis stocks. They seem to be kind of out again, I think, right now. I don't know. I lose track of the cannabis. But is there any industry like that that we should be, you know, looking to get in before it becomes the trendy trendy area, I guess, is what I'm asking. Sort of think the opposite. I mean, one of the things I was looking at this morning for my my new economics monthly is is the names that are providing like, you know. The, the, the cybersecurity and data protection, which is the hot area now that we're all working at home, right? Right, right. So let, let's talk these names. Qualysys, Q-L-Y-S, Radware, W-D-W-R, Crowdflare, Pan, Palo Alto Network. So just yeah. as we're doing this, I'll pull up Radware, and I don't have any idea what's going to I'm going to pull up here, Tracy, but let's talk about Radware. So I'll go to Zach's.com, and I'll type in W-D-W-R, Radware. Okay, here we are. The value is the stock's at 30 bucks a share. Um, it used to be at 36. Okay. Forward PE is 37. 
Market cap $1.4 billion. Expected earnings on the February the 9th and current year estimate is $0.81 cents a share on $30 in earnings. So okay. if I look at it, it's tanked from 36 to 30. Do I like this stock? Doesn't seem that cheap to me. Well, if I told you now next year has got a dollar in earnings, you're paying 30 bucks for it. You say what? That's not as bad uh, if they can make that for next year. It's a little more attractive. Yeah, I would say, you know, this is a name where I think, oh, you know what? I probably wouldn't buy it right now, but I would put this on my radar screen, right? Let's do crowd, CRWD, CRWD. That's really pulled back, I know. Yeah, so CrowdStrike, again, this stock got blown up. Yeah. It's 194 now, it was 280. Now here's, you're gonna love this. I mean, projected earnings are up 115%. And that takes you from 58 cents a share this year to 91 cents a share next year. So you're paying 91 cents a share, it's $200 to pay by 91 cents a share of earnings. So in a value investor podcast, what's the answer on CrowdStrike? Well, I'm still passing on that. <laughs> It's still too expensive for me, yeah. but I have been watching CrowdStrike. I did put it on my watch list during the sell-off. Yes, that's yeah. the right answer. We crowd CRWD should be on your watch list because it's blowing up and it's right. got some interesting potential. P-A-N-W, right, that's a big name. Palo Alto Networks, $500 a share, forward PE of 70. However, they make nine bucks a share in earnings next year, Tracy. Still pretty pricey. Yeah, this for me, thing moved for the value. I mean, back in late 2020, it was 250. It's doubled in a year. This one I shoot down. I would never look into Palo Alto Networks. This stuff, all I can see is losing 100 bucks a share really quick. Because just like Crowdware and Radware, okay, Palo Alto Networks has the same story. They're making the money. They're probably the better company. But this is where the shorts can pile in on a stock like this, right? Yeah. So I personally would be putting Radware and Crowdflare on my list of things to watch for a value investor, and I would basically not even bother with Palo Alto Networks. So let's do one more name in this hot list, Qualysys, Q-L-L-Y-S, 130, 126, forward PE of 40. Pretty constructive chart. Um, pretty, I mean... It's an interesting one. Three forty a share next year on one hundred and twenty dollars. So you know, not terrible. And you think, okay, would I buy this? Uh, I went on a pullback for this one. It's just too strong yeah. stock. I might look for a hundred. If I if it got to a hundred, I'm on one twenty six or one ten. I might buy the stock. Okay. But this one's an interesting one. From a value investor perspective, it's a stronger name than, than Radware and Cloudflare. And it's got a really nice chart, Tracy. They've been every single time for five years. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these so, have real. You know, would you buy this now when it, it topped out at 140 and now it's 130? No. 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 There's not a value. But if Qualysis goes to 110 in the next year, you would jump on the stock. Maybe it never it never misses. You got You look at the earnings trends on the five years they're yeah. showing on Jacks. It's super super positive, always going up like we like. Pretty attractive play here for a, a, a long term momentum play in an investor value perspective. Once it sells off, yeah, we'll see. Um, I still am 
I have a lot of these types of names on my watch list in various sectors of the hot growth names because they have pulled back, but some have not pulled back quite enough for me yet. Yeah, I think that is basically the right answer here is with getting back to economics, with the Fed pulling down, you know, the taper. Um, there will be panicking periods here where you could buy in on these names. And, and the point is to study the qualysis, the radware, the crowds, and the panel all done now, so you understand them better when the world falls apart and you know, well, you know, I knew that was going to come. Yeah. Because these are the names that are, you know, this is the cybersecurity stuff that's not going away. This is the new, new world that I think people should be paying attention to a lot more, right? Okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So for a final question, um, Warren Buffett's sitting on $149 billion in Berkshire Hathaway. Do you think he too is just waiting on the sidelines to get into some of these stocks and or buy out some of these companies on a bigger pullback? What do you think is going on there? You know, I've been, you know, we know Charlie Munger is here in Santa Barbara all the time. He's on in Pasadena. He's a big benefactor of science and technology, you know, at a research level, right? And we know Buffett has all these younger guys that he somewhat trusts now, right? Right, right. So the, the real mystery to me is why Buffett has never decided he can understand the chip stocks. <laughs> I yeah, mean, look, can Buffett no understand Micron? I mean, seriously. How hard is it so. for Buffett to understand Micron? And Charlie yeah, Munger doesn't know how to tell him what Micron does and how it works. Those are the easiest stuff. ones. Yeah, I think, I think the, the really big, yeah. easy ones that are values. I mean, come on, Micron's a value stock. Buffett can figure Micron out to take a $30 billion position of Micron. I mean, I don't know if I'm not going you know, to sit down with Buffett and tell him about NVDA, right? Because he'll have a heart attack. <laughs> All right. But I can sit down and try QRVO, WDC, MU, and TXN and get him to understand at least MU. And that this is what I don't get about Buffett. Like He's always like, oh, I don't understand tech. Really? I mean, this is there's an industrial... You know, manufacturing element of this, you you were actually pretty skilled at this stuff. Go and check out some chip companies. Go and walk the floors. Realize you understand how this works and start buying some of this stuff. Not that Buffett's listening to me, but if he is listening to me, that's what I'm telling him to do. That could be the main area. I, I, I don't disagree. So we'll yeah. see what happens. But he's got to do something with it. It's, it can't just. Yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's got to quit with the the whole. I'm a 95 year old guy. And I'm I'm a dope about this stuff. He's not a dope. Right. He can't figure it out. Or at least uh, you know, shove some some of it over to his lieutenants to buy the stocks. They they I think are maxed out. They were only given a certain amount of cash originally. Right. And you can, the whole point you can is how, how does Buffett like administrate the whole thing? Right. We don't know. Hey, we don't know exactly, but. It doesn't seem, based on their buying of the equities, that he's given them any more money. <laughs> right. This, you can't ask yourself why Charlie is just sitting there going, like, oh, I don't understand chips and not helping him understand where the allocations need to rise, rise for the other guys, right? Right, 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 exactly. Really, yeah. Charlie, you, you fund Caltech, but you don't get the chip stocks? Really? 
Well, and not to mention all of his own personal investments over in China and like the EV industry and yeah, stuff. Yeah, come on, man. He that yeah. dude understands this stuff. He's a mathematician. He's been out here for decades. And again, he's an older man. I understand that, but that you know, you know, his brain works. He's an articulate guy. He can figure this stuff out. For whatever reason, trying to get Buffett around in this is just not worth the time, right? So Buffett, it's like, okay, you know, I do it, but it's not worth the time. The guy's not gonna do it. I just, you know, I'll get I'll get a paycheck anyway, so I'm not gonna deal with Buffett. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's something to watch for 2022. We don't know what's gonna be happening, but we did talk about a lot of stocks on this episode. So on the chip side, Micron is MU, AMD, we mentioned that, NVIDIA, NVDA. I mentioned United Rentals, URI, for the infrastructure play. We talked about a couple of the housing stocks. KB Homes is KBH. Lennar is L-E-N. Toll Brothers is T-O-L. Holte is P-H-M. Mohawk Industries, M-H-K. Whirlpool, W-H-R. We mentioned that one. Uh, John mentioned Wesco, W-C-C. And then we did just talk about the security stock. We had RDWR, CrowdStrike is CRWD, Palo Alto Networks, PANW, Qualys, how do you pronounce it? Qualys? Q-L-Y-S. Yeah, is that one. And then, you know, we did talk about the Russell, the mid caps. You can buy ETFs for those. And Berkshire Hathaway's BR. KB, unless you really want to go for it and buy those A shares when it's BRKA for the A shares. So there's a lot going on and 2022 is going to be very interesting. And we still have a couple more podcasts here in 2021. So you don't want to miss a single episode. Get us all on Amazon Music. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. And as always, I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.